sponsored by Black Magic Design, the world's highest quality products for the feature film, post and broadcast industries. Blackmagicdesign.com And by JMR Rentals, professional, digital, cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby, and today on the program we're going to be talking about some of the films from this year's AFI Fest. Joining me now via Zoom, he is our man on the West Coast and the man behind ActuallyPaid.com, Mr. William J. Hammond. Welcome, Bill. Good to be back. Hey, man. It's great to see you again. Uh, I know we just did this not too long ago with uh, films from Mill Valley and, and New York Film Festival, but now... We got AFI, and this was this was all you, man. <laughs> yeah. This was a lot. <laughs> I mean, go big or go home, I guess. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me about the festival. Tell me about your experience. I've never really done a full throttle film festival in person before. Like I've seen a couple of features here and there, and obviously we we do our coverage uh, here, which is sometimes in person, sometimes remote. And this is the first time I was finally able to be on site for the duration. And I just told myself, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it proper. So yeah, five days, 15 films, 10 submissions to the Oscars for international feature. There were a few red carpets at the uh, TCL Chinese Theater. Most of the action was in their little multiplex off, up and off to the side. Quiz Lady featuring Will Ferrell and Aquafina. That's on Hulu right now. That debuted at the El Capitan across the street as a supplemental feature. The environment was at times chill, at times a bit overwhelming, but the hustle and bustle of it all was just energizing for lack of a better word like you know there were small little red carpet screens that you could take pictures in front of and and producers and directors would come and take you know little mini photo ops there were a few celebrities in attendance um mads mickelson came to promote uh the promised land which we reviewed uh for mill valley i think i saw john favreau once uh in the lead up to uh a documentary about albert brooks that rob reiner did um obviously the the strike's still going on not too many could come out to plug the work but the writers and the directors and the producers all did and some of the foreign actors as well uh peter sarsgaard was there to to promote memory uh there, there if you if you were there to see stars you got your fill so uh tell me about the films what's what's the first film we got all right so we're going to start off with my personal favorite american fiction Written and directed by uh, Cord Jefferson. This is his feature debut, but he's a well-known TV writer. He's worked on Watchmen, Succession, Master of None, The Good Place, all really well-written shows. And his skill is on full display with this script. It's a biting, ripping satire of pandering to demographics. You know, well-meaning people that do it, but it's still disingenuous. Uh, in this case, we're talking about African-Americans in society. Uh, Jeffrey Wright stars as... Thelonious Ellison, who of course is nicknamed Monk. He's a novelist and a literature professor, but he can't get his latest book sold. The publishers are all like, well, yeah, you're a black writer, but your writing's not black enough. 
he sees kind of a one-sided adversary in this woman named uh, Centara Golden, played by Issa Rae. She's also a very well-educated writer, but she has struck it rich because she wrote a book about life in the ghetto. And it's it's something absurdly titled, like, Is We Nots Getting Out the Ghetto Now? You know, like, just very Ebonics-laced. One of the opening scenes, like, like watching her give a dramatic reading as someone who's lived on the bottom rung of society, even though she herself is an Oberlin-educated literati is something to behold. The whole crux of the story is in between being ostracized at work, having his creativity stifled, and a whole lot of family drama back home in Boston, one night Monk decides, screw it, I'm going to write one of these pandering ghetto books myself under the pseudonym Stag R. Lee, which is just brilliant on its face. And... Of course, it's an overnight sensation, and now he has to craft this entire character around this writer to try to pass off this book just to get it sold. He thinks it's a joke. He's, he's trying to rub it in people's faces that this is not what you're supposed to be latching onto, and yet the more he does, the more people want to give him money for this complete hoax of, a, of an experiment, and... It's 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 amazing to watch. Je- Jeffrey Wright definitely deserves a Best Actor nomination for this, as does the screenplay. And you've got a really strong uh, supporting cast with uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, Sterling K. Brown, Leslie Uggams, John Ortiz, Adam Brody, Keith David, like really well-seasoned character actors who know comedy and drama at the same time. And just... I was falling over in my seat. I was laughing so hard. Like, like the insight that Court Jefferson brings to this whole idea of is there a proper way to portray black people in America? That, that's a discussion that's been going on for decades. I remember having uh, college classes where, where we talked about it with regards to, you know, the Cosby show, not knowing what we know now and the proud family and family matters and all these other shows. Like, like, is there a proper way to, depict the black experience and this is a stellar continuation of that conversation like and the weird thing is as much as i fawn over this in essence i'm part of the joke because half of the humor is the fact that you know white people are taking opportunities to fawn over black voices for me it's because i appreciate the humor i'm I'm not trying to say something for the sake of optics or political correctness as the characters in the film do, but I can easily appreciate the fact that this very joke can be spun on me right now. And I'm totally good with it. I'm in on it. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it sounds almost like familiar territory from something like bamboozled Spike Lee's bamboozled. Yep. And, and things like that. Um, you mentioned uh, you think uh, that Jeffrey Wright might get an Oscar nomination, but is this film releasing this year or next year? It is still on the schedule as far as I'm aware. It's coming out in December. Fingers crossed that that holds um, because that's not always been the case. But but as, as far as I'm aware, it's still going to come out um, on, um, I believe, December 22nd or December, tw- or, or Dece- December 15th is the qualifying run, then it'll expand the week after. It was originally supposed to come out first week of November, but it was pushed, so it's possible the strikes could, you know, crash it again. I sincerely hope not, because, yeah, this is, again, a great screenplay, great performances, worthy of consideration, 
And I can, especially with the field uh, now permanently expanded to 10, I can see a backdoor best picture nomination here. That sounds hopeful. Like I, I love all those people. They're like got an amazing cast. I, I saw the trailer for it and that piqued my interest. So I definitely want to check it out. What is the, uh, what's your next film coming out? Next up, we have The Peasants. This is Poland's submission for international feature. And it's done by Hugh and DK Welchman. This is the same creative team that did Loving Vincent back in 2017. One of the best animated films ever made as far as I'm concerned. And this movie is kind of done in a similar style. They filmed it as if it was a live action film with the actors on camera and everything. And then artists from four different countries created tens of thousands of oil paintings in the style of Polish artists of the 20th century to make up the frames for what is the final film. And then you have a different set of animators come in and clean it all up and make sure it all edits together. It's gorgeous. Like, eye-poppingly gorgeous. I mean, when, when I saw, you know, promotional stills for this, I thought it was a live-action movie, like, maybe with a, with a slight filter on the on the lens, you know, just for effect, like, like more saturated colors or something like that. It wasn't until I got in the seat and Hugh and D.K. Welchman come on the screen to describe it, bringing some of the oil paintings with them. It's like, oh, wow, we're doing this again. We're doing a second Loving Vincent, this time in Polish. And... In the six intervening years, the skill has gone up a level to the point where the way the secondary animators kind of blend everything together and create these little brush strokes all along the periphery in the background, it creates a false depth of field. So there are moments when it almost looks 3D, which is insane. That's the artistic side of it from the narrative and story side of this is based on uh, a Polish novel of the same title called The Peasants, uh, which the, uh, Welchman showed it to us in the theater. It's about as thick as War and Peace, but it won the Nobel Prize, and it's kind of like standard curriculum for Polish high school students. Like, it's it's that ingrained in society now. And what it is, it's about a woman named Jagna, who is the object of affection for basically every young man in her small farming village at the turn of the 20th century. She eventually is, for all intents and purposes, sold into marriage uh, to this old man named Bornia, who's an older widower, but he's also the richest and most influential man in the town. Uh, there's this really cool running ceremony where basically if a man gives you a shot of vodka and you drink it, that's a marriage proposal. Like, like that's for, for, for a society of potato farmers, that's weirdly apropos. And then the story takes place over the course of the year. It's divided up into the four seasons and it becomes more and more this searing portrait of misogyny and groupthink because this beautiful young woman who wants to have, you know, a romantic and sexual identity of her own is eventually turned into a pariah and the, the scapegoat for all the town's problems because she dares have sex. So it's, weirdly poignant for this day and age uh it really shouldn't be but it is and again the performances of these actors comes through the animation in ways you just wouldn't expect like with loving vincent a lot of the cast like Sarsha ronan and all them they were basically picked because they looked like the subjects of of uh van gogh's paintings here we just have a really strong cast that's animated around and again they could convince you that it's real that it's just a 
that it's just a filter over a live film. It's that strong. But this is this is animation, right? It's not like it's not motion capture or something like that. It's fully animated. Like I said, they they filmed as if it, they filmed live action, and then the 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 cells, the frames of the live action were then converted into painting. Like basically, you know, you you hand an artist you know a second worth of film. And it's their job to then create 24 paintings to, to match it. This must have taken forever to make, right? Over the course of about four years, yeah. Um, uh, and they actually had to uh, suspend production temporarily because one of their animation houses was in Ukraine at the start of the uh, Russian invasion. So they had to evacuate all those people, have them start working uh, in Poland. And then once it was safe to return, get them back home Um and start the process up all over again. Like they, they had they they had some real world uh, setbacks with this, but God, it, it it's just so beautiful. So they're entering this for a best international feature at the Oscars, mm-hmm. and are, but they are they also going to try and get it nominated for best animated feature? I would assume so. Uh, the de- the deadline for animated feature submissions is um, in mid November, whereas the international feature deadline was October second. So it's definitely competing on Poland's behalf for that. I can't imagine that it's not going to compete for animated feature, especially because it is getting um, a theatrical release uh, in the U.S., uh, I believe, in mid-December. So it only makes sense to, to to submit it. Whether it gets nominated or not is another matter entirely. There, there's a lot of competition this year. Loving Vincent got nominated for it for animated features, so I I assume they're gonna put it up for it again. I mean, literally, Hugh Welchman even mentioned this while introducing the film. It's like the last time we did this, we got nominated for an Oscar, so fingers crossed. Very cool, man. Uh, so what's uh, what do we got next? What's our next movie? Vim Vendors, great director, but he hasn't really done anything in a few years. Like it's basically been 2017, 2018, the last time he put out a fictional film. Or, and or a documentary. And then this year he comes out firing with both barrels. He had two films in this festival. One is the documentary Anselm, which is in 3D. I didn't get to see that one, but I've heard some really good things about it. And then we have Perfect Days as a fictional film. This is Japan's entry for international feature. Really well made. Again, just visually gorgeous. You have this uh, this actor, uh, Koji Akusho. He's you've probably seen him in uh, Babel, Thirteen Assassins, Memoirs of a Geisha. Like he's done a lot of Western films as as well as stuff just in Japan. He won Best Actor at Cannes for this performance and well deserved as far as I'm concerned because he conveys so much with just his face and his eyes in what is for the first two acts basically a silent performance. He plays this guy Hirayama who enjoys a very simple structured life. He cleans public toilets. That that's his job. He gets a bit. You know, the crack of dawn every day, brushes his teeth, puts on his jumpsuit, drives into downtown Tokyo and cleans toilets. That's it. That's his life. But in this very minimalist existence, he spends the bulk of the movie basically just observing and enjoying all the little joys that life has to offer. You know, he helps a lost kid in the park find his mother. He goes to a, a bookshop and just, you know, puts down a couple of yen for for a used book and just reads it for fun. He picks up sapling trees and raises them in his apartment. Just He has this clear-eyed vision of the world in its 
simplest, most beautiful state. And it's so endearing to just kind of watch it from his perspective, especially when he's just driving to and from locations and he's popping in old cassette tapes of like Patti Smith and and Van Morrison. It's like getting these classic rock interludes in the middle of Tokyo. And over the course of the film, like it takes place about a, over the course of a little more than a week, you kind of get these clues to the hidden pains of his past that he's just kind of escaped by, in essence, leaving everything behind. Uh, and then, you you know, he, he has a relationship with his co-worker, you know, as like a kind of a mentor-mentee type of thing. He spends a couple of days with his niece who runs away from home and, and you know, crashes with him for a couple of days. So it's like you get these senses of what he left behind. Like he used to be a successful man, you know, and he just realized that it wasn't worth all that aggravation anymore. So, yeah, just live in a live in a one bedroom apartment, get up every morning, get a get a can of iced coffee out of a vending machine, go clean toilets, go to the bar, read books, go back to bed. Uh, there, there's a really beautiful scene where he has a conversation with a man he thinks is involved with uh, this middle-aged bartender that he's interested in. And it turns out they're, they're exes. Like he was just kind of like dropping by to, to update her on his medical conditions and let him know that, you know, what's going to happen. So uh, Hiriyama, they encounter each other later on um, just at a bench near, near a bridge and they just have this conversation about do shadows get darker if you put them on top of each other? So they just experiment on, hey, here's my shadow, here's yours. Let's move closer together till they touch, see if it gets darker. And then they play tag with their shadows, like like, like little kids. It, it It's all these little, almost vignette-style moments of just pure, unadulterated joy that permeates the entire thing. And... You can't help but just smile at all of it. Even though you know there are some painful things on the periphery, the sheer joy that this exudes is palpable in the extreme. It doesn't sound like a thrill a minute, though. Like, it sounds very kind of day in the life. I, I, I suppose I have to see it to see how captive it... Because listening to it, it just sounds like a dude living his life kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's visual poetry basically. Like, if you if you want to see like this actor do some action, watch Thirteen Assassins, uh, directed by Takashi Miike. Like, it's one of his better films. We're running out of time, so I want to get to the next film, which is this is unfortunately part of what I mentioned earlier about the strike kiboshing some potential campaigners, the bike riders. This is a lot of fun. To be clear, this is not a prestige film. I mean, you you could have probably maybe competed for a couple of technicals like the cinematography and the editing and maybe backdoor performance nominations for Tom Hardy and Jodie Comer. But really, this is just a fun, character-driven adventure film, kind of in the vein of Rebel Without a Cause and Easy Rider. It even directly references Marlon Brando in The Wild One. It's a movie about a motorcycle gang. I mean, it's loosely based on this uh, book by a guy named uh, Danny Lyon, who's a political activist and a, and a photojournalist. Back in the 60s and 70s, he was embedded with the Chicago out, uh, branch of, I believe, the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. And he did these interviews with both 
the bikers and their wives to kind of like get a sense of what biker culture really was back in the anti-establishment 60s. And it's those kind of inspir- those kind of interviews that inspire the film. Danny Lyon here is played by uh, Mike Faith, who was uh, Riff in the West Side Story remake. Uh, one of the be- one of the best things about that movie that I kind of like, but not really. He was absolutely great. And then, of course, like I said, you have Tom Hardy as Johnny. He's the leader of what they call the Vandals in here. You know, names are changed to protect the innocent. Jodie Comer plays Kathy, who is the wife of Benny, played by Austin Butler, coming off of his uh, Best Actor nomination for Elvis earlier this year. Most of the material is based on the interviews with Kathy. First of all, I just love how well Jodie Comer and Tom Hardy as British people affect Midwestern accents. It's surprisingly good. There's this romanticism in the simple act of drinking a beer or, you know, having a, a pig roast barbecue and like everything like that. Like my stepfather was in a was in a motorcycle club for a long time, and I got exposed to that culture when I was a teenager a little bit. Once you get over the black lung from all the people smoking around you, there was a lot of fun to be had. And there and there were these weird traditions, unwritten rules and hierarchies. You know, when you could wear your colors, when you couldn't, whose territory was whose, like, it, it almost, it always seemed like it was just dangling on the edge of, uh, like, right on the precipice of something more sinister than it ever was. But there was also something fascinating about it. And I think Jeff Nichols, who uh, directed this, I, th- I think he captures that quite well. Um, the sad part, like I said, literally on the Friday night that this you know, screened at AFI Fest, the studio pulled it off the schedule because of the SAG after strike that's that had not still not been resolved. And it it always bugs me because they they themselves, like the studio, had advertised this film for more than a month. You know, I had seen the trailers in the theaters because I was getting and I was getting excited for it. And then they decide, well, be excited, but you, you, you know you know how art works. You can't see it unless we can stick Tom Hardy on Colbert to plug it for two and a half minutes. It's like, whatever. But, you know, the whole point of award season baiting is that you're using the awards to drive your marketing, not the actors themselves. But I don't make these decisions. I'm. It's clearly above my pay grade. Uh, but... Hopefully the strike gets resolved and it gets either put back on the schedule for December like it was originally planned or not buried in the studio dumping ground of January and February uh, next year. Like, because again, it's not the greatest thing that's ever, you know, been made, but there's just something to be said for a good solid popcorn movie that comes out in the fall. Like we, we see so many of them in the summer, but this is, this is cinematic comfort food and it's really well done in that respect. Like you have a, you have a really good supporting cast with like Michael Shannon and, and uh, a few others. Like I, again, I, I just sat there for two hours completely just turning my brain off and enjoying myself. And especially when you're doing so many films over the course of five days, you need that palate cleanser sometimes, you know, th- that, that Friday, the, I, I had only watched the bike riders and one other film called occupied city, which was a four hour documentary. It was great. It was really well done. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but after four hours, I needed to flush out my brain and the bike riders was perfect for that. 
Awesome, man. Well, this has been great. Thank you again for doing the marathon of this film fest. Uh, you're a real trooper out there, man. You're like a little film trooper out there in, in Hollywood land. But uh, that was great, man. And, you know, you wrote the reviews. They're on the website. Um, we'll probably – this will probably be our last episode for the year. Uh, so uh, we're, we'll still have content coming out, but uh, we'll definitely uh, see you next year. And you're going to be in your Oscar Blitz before we know it. Uh, so uh, tell people where they can find you if they want to read your reviews and get your uh, content. Absolutely. As always, actuallypaid.com is the blog. And then Twitter or YouTube at, at actually underscore paid for all the content. Yeah, the Blitz is coming soon. And hopefully experiences like this have gotten me uh, a bit of a head start especially on international feature because i saw 10 of the entries Th there were 20 during the festival i got to see 10 of them so hopefully that at least knocks a few off of the potential nominees or shortlisted films when we get that information coming out because they're always the hardest ones to track down once the nominations happen so if nothing else i hope i've accomplished that but again this was so worth it you know, every second of the way, whether I wanted to throw stuff at the screen because I was angry with, with the way a film was turning out, or when I was taking a few moments of rest just outside the multiplex, having Pinkberry out of a vending machine, it was all worth it. And even, again, even in the movies that I didn't particularly care for, just, just seeing some new artist's take on something, it's worth the time. Like, I, I'm... I will never regret the experience of watching a movie, even if I don't like the movie. Like that's that that's why I decided to do this in the first place. And just getting to see all this different all these different stories, talk to so many different people who were either covering it as uh, fans, as critics, as producers, and then and like I said, the the volunteers who just will never get enough praise for everything they did. Uh, I I tip my hat to them immensely. I got to wrap up, but thanks so much for doing this again, and we will see you soon. And that's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including more movie reviews, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. Once again, I'd like to thank William Hammond and our sponsors, Black Magic Design and JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.